The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. I want to talk about today the redemptive work of biblical judgment. That's an interesting thing to put together because most people think of judgment as a as a negative thing. And uh, every one of us used judgment this morning, hopefully. Most of us, it looks like everybody, I'm looking around the room, everybody looked judgment. You dressed appropriately to come, come to here today. You, you remember to put clothes on and... Uh, you, you, we, we make judgment calls all the time, whether or not we're going to fix our hair, what we're going to wear, what we eat. Those are basic judgment calls that we make every day. And we don't even think about them. We really don't. Um, and, and, and so these are aspects of our life. So when we talk about the redemptive work of biblical judgment, the first thing I want us to understand is biblical judgment begins with our hearts first. Biblical judgment begins with our hearts first. Because if I don't clarify this, I know that... <clears throat> if I don't clarify this, I know there will be people saying, well, you know, they'll quote this passage. So let's just go ahead and take care of business real quick. Matthew 7, verses 1-5 through says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the same judgment, for the, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's, no, when there's this log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Now here it is. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clear, see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He doesn't tell us, that we are not to judge, just to understand by the same measure of judgment we're using, we're going to be judged ourselves. So if we don't take the log out of our eye and we go after someone else, our guilt will be just as great. We know first because none is without sin. And I told you this will be this little first part here. A is be quick, A and B, and C. <coughs> none is without sin. That's what that first part of one, uh, verses 1 to 2 of, that, of Matthew 7 said. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with a measure you will use, it will be measured to you. It's, it, it tells us that we are what? We are all sinful. That means that there's no perfect judge beyond our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans 3.23 tells us what? All have sinned and fall, fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages, what we deserve, what we earn because of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we have to remember that. When we look to judge or we make judgments or use biblical discernment, we must understand that we all fall short of the glory of God. Does that, that means that we could be wrong, correct? Have we wronged? Others, yes. Could we understand something wrongly? Yes. Did I did so yesterday myself? I thought I understood it to say some somebody's statement to say something. I questioned it and I was told 
no, I'll fully affirm this. And I'm going, well, who wrote this? Because <laughs> it doesn't sound right. <clears throat> and then they explained to me. So sometimes our eyes and our ears and our hearts get in the way of what people are truly saying. We assume and presume too much. But none of us is without sin. Secondly, because without proper perspective, let's look at this, proper perspective, we cannot discern righteously. Now I'm going to tell you right now, I just took our glasses off. Okay? I will tell you, I cannot preach from my notes or read from my Bible from this point on without my glasses. I can't see anything here. I see white and some black blurs. Okay? Without proper perspective, what did he tell us in that theme passage? I know what comes next. So in verses 3 through 5 of Matthew 7, what did he tell us? We got to do first, we got to do what? Take the log. Now, for whatever reason, we think the log so often is a speck. I will tell you right now, if you can see clearly enough through your log, you're only going to get a speck of what's really going on. And that's what I, I think even I think it was Spurgeon said, when think, people think that you're bad of you, just, just think of this. They, only, they, only, they have no clue how really purely evil you really are, how sinful you are. They can't see it. We all have a log, and that log is, a, is not, that it's not actually there. It's a spiritual example, okay? So we can, you can see me and I can see you, right? But when we start looking at something, we want to show someone else's fault, we all of a sudden forget about our own. Our own mistakes and our own sin. Without proper perspective, we can't discern righteously. So we have to get the log out so we can clearly see to get the speck out of our brother's eye. Like John 7, 24 says, Don't, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with a right judgment. Or a just judgment. And you can't do that in and of yourself looking through the lens of your own eye. Thirdly, when we judge, we must do so lawfully. I'm going to cover an aspect of this in just a moment. 1 Timothy 1, as y'all are filling these things out, we'll come back to them. We know, now that we know that the law is good, one uses it lawfully. Understanding that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever, listen carefully, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with what? Our opinion of the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which we have been entrusted. With the Word of God, we must do so lawfully. Hebrews 4, 12-13 says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight, for all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. We must judge lawfully by the Word of God because we only can expose that which the Word of God condemns and condones. 
Condones means what the Word of God's okay with. Condemns is what the Word of God says is, is sin. So when we judge, we must do so lawfully. See that if, if somebody, if that's how we learn to understand if someone's adding to or taking away from the Word of God. So we, that's our judge. Secondly, this morning, number two, biblical judgment is both a private and public affair. And sometimes it's not both. Sometimes it is, and that's what we need to talk about today. First, biblical judgment is private when a Christian sins against you. Biblical judgment is private when a Christian sins against you. This means that something that's happened to you and you know it it's not on accident it's not a it's, it's not a, a maybe a perceived thing maybe it is a perceived thing and your perceptions off but someone has sinned against you and he tells us in Matthew 18 what to do if your brother sins <coughs> against you you go tell him his fault between you and him alone if he listens to you you have gained your brother that means you've won him over but if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the church, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a, and it says Gentile, but he will say as a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Notice a few things about this passage of Scripture. If someone sins against you, you go to them and tell them their fault. Okay? Now, we don't make a big show always about everything. There's a reason why. And I'll get to that in a second. You go and show them the fault. In most cases, you can do this face-to-face, but some things are not small matters of conscience, but detailed matters of sin, and maybe need to be written out. Some things, there are things, some things, it's not like somebody said something, um, someone called, called me a baby, so called me an idiot and so I need to go write a I need to write a five page letter of why calling me an idiot is wrong no you don't need to do that but when someone wrongs people on a, a person on many levels there's sometimes to make sure that we cover every area because as I go to that person to point out those the sin against me I'm also bringing forgiveness and my desire to restore them and if I forget something and I hold ought against someone who has repented I'm in just as much of sin. Okay? So sometimes you need to write it out. Okay? If they don't listen to you, the key behind the Scripture is the matter is not to be made public until it is dealt with privately. It is not to be tried in the court of public opinion first. That means, hey, you know, Henry said this about me. I go over here to somebody. I go over and I say, I, Henry said this about me. It was this horrible thing. What do you think? How should I approach it? And he did this, 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 and this. How should I approach it? What would be That would be wrong. Because now you just involve somebody who's not part of the situation to ask him what you already know you're supposed to do. 
And I've had been a part of this when I've had other people go to other pastors before coming to talk to me personally. And the other pastor who comes out to being someone who, who, who comes out and says something and, and talks about all these things about my personality and my psychology of, and all the reasons why I might have done something, and he has never even met me. It wasn't even. It was based upon the perception of somebody else telling me something about it. All right. So in those cases, it should be as private as possible. Not tried in the court of public opinion first. However, this does not apply to all matters of sin. And I'm going to say this: a person that's raped should not have to go to their rapist privately. A child that's molested should not have to go to their before their perpetrator privately first. A person that's robbed should not have to go before the thief privately. And I know I've been told that these are matters of different aspects of the law, but when we look at it, when it talks about, let's say someone lied about what you said, or they didn't even, let's just say they didn't even intend to lie, but bearing false witness does not mean you shall not lie only. It means that someone told something about you and they told it wrong and it created an unfavorable opinion by someone else or it could have gotten you in trouble by somebody else and you never said it. Bearing false witness is just the same. And you say, well, there's a different part of the law. Heck, if you look at it, there's restitution involved in several of these areas. But a person... A person that does it, if there must be private judgment when a Christian sins against you. But, second, biblical judgment is made public once other witnesses are involved. Notice that the person bringing them the charge against another to their friend or their brother or sister in Christ, when they go to do this, they're the first witness. And it tells them they bring one or two more people to get, establish it upon two or three. Biblical judgment is made public once the other witnesses are involved. From that point, it's public. But even beyond that, it's between... It's there. Witnesses to the matter are those who are not there just for the moral support of the individual bringing the case, but to provide proper discernment to the matter. That means they can even correct the one bringing the charge just as much as the one the charge is being levied against. That means prior to that moment, they have no privy information to the situation they're going, and they might hear and by their biblical discernment turn to the one bringing the charge and say, I believe you're in the wrong. You're not hearing correctly. So what happens? There's restoration that can be made. Both sides, repentance and restoration, there's a reason why. But based on the testimony of two or more witnesses, now you have that. Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. C. Third, public doctrinal error and sin is to be dealt with publicly. Now, there's a difference between disagreeing with somebody and error. I mean, 
how what I'm preaching on this morning, I know others disagree with me on. But it's not doctrinal error. We're talking about something that is contrary to the Word of God, adding to or taking away from the Word of God in such a way that causes those sin. In fact, most of those cases are what we call, um, we, we find is called legalism. We add to something to be holy or take away something in order to be more holy. Public doctrinal error and sin is to be dealt with publicly. And I know this by example. And it's not between a an apostle or a preacher and a church member in this example. It's between two apostles. And one of them even considers himself to be the least of the apostles. And he goes to one who is considered the leader of the church of all the apostles. And this is what he says in Galatians 2. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? That was not a polite thing. He went to him face to face in front of the other brothers because of his actions. Others were sinning. Okay? What that meant was when they sat down to eat their meal, probably, I'll even say this, possibly even the Lord's Supper, they divided themselves, Jews and Gentiles. That means those who were of the Jewish origin that had been circumcised and those who were not. Peter already knew that he's not to call any man unclean. He'd already received a vision from the, from the Lord. He knows he ought not do it. And here in this case, what does he do? He divides himself off. And in doing so, because he has a, a role of leadership, a perceived leadership, he's he has a you want to say a pulpit of sorts, what happens? Other people follow him in his hypocrisy. Even godly people, even staunch people in the faith like Barnabas. And they sin. So he said, "Uh uh-uh. I'm going to oppose him. Not pull him outside just so we can talk out the back back door. Right here, right now. Now I'm going to tell you something. If you've ever been called out like that, how many of y'all like you kiddos, like your mom or dad, to gripe you out in front of your friends for something you've done wrong. Everybody liked it happen? Nobody likes it, right? Why? Because it makes you feel bad, or you now know other people might know might, might think differently of you. It doesn't make you feel good. But if you've done wrong, do you think that they should pull you to the side and sweep it under the carpet and it should be all out of sight, out of no, you know what? Sometimes we need to understand that when we've done wrong, we can lead others to do wrong, and they need everybody around you needs to know that this is wrong. That's why it needs to be done sometimes that way. Because our sin can lead others to sin, whether we intend for it or not. Just because we're responsible for our own sin, 
we also have a responsibility to be an example before others of Christ. If we're representing the light and we're shining as if light and we end up being like darkness, we need to be representatives of that. So that's why that's why Paul opposed Peter to his face. And you know what? In that account, you didn't see Peter say, Listen, I'm the rock. This church is built on. You're nothing as an apostle. He'd say that. We don't find any place that Peter opposed Paul back. You know, most likely he was ashamed, convicted. And I can imagine the amount of repentance. I can, I'm, I'm taking leeway here, but because there was no fight over this, the church didn't separate over this. You find, guarantee there was repentance that day. So why should we deal with a public doctrinal error publicly, and when should it be done? Three, the purpose of biblical judgment is both restorative and destructive. I'm not even going to quote make a quote that I wanted to make. I thought about it and I said no. I don't think some people are ready to hear that. But the reality is, it's both restorative and destructive. We use the law of God. Looking at 1 Timothy 1, 8-11 again, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. And the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. And I'm going to tell you, lawless and disobedience just doesn't mean those who murder, those who steal, those who um, those who bear false witness. Oh, well, should, it's not just for these, these big, what's they say, big sins that people think of. It's for those who hold to anything that's even contrary to sound doctrine. First, the A. I, I know I've got a little bunch of little points here, and I, I think it's been a good thing. But A. First, the central purpose is not merely chastisement, but restoration. Now I want us to understand the purpose of biblical judgment is for restoration first and foremost. If your heart is not that the brother or sister in Christ is to be restored in the body, then you need to go back to the first point and recognize that you're in sin and most likely you have a huge log in your eye. If your heart of love for them is not that they be restored. And I have to say that because I fall prey to this. Everyone falls prey to this aspect. If our desire is to see someone fall on their face more than be restored before the Lord, we are in error. Now, it's not hard for us to look at some things, guys. It's not hard for us to look at it and say, you know what? If so-and-so doesn't change... What they're doing, they're going to go down with the ship. Now, it doesn't matter how many times they're being warned, they're going to go down with that ship. And it's going to be poor. Look, they're going to look poorly for it. And they've been told and told. That's not the point is not the point of judgment is not just chastisement. It's not just to be able to sit back and call someone an idiot even when they're being an idiot. Okay? Why do I know this? Galatians 6 tells us, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, let me go ahead and say this, you who are mature should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. Now, it's hard to restore a man that's unrepentant or a woman that's unrepentant. 
But you can't decide. You let's go ahead and go back to the word. You can't assume or presume they're going to be unrepentant. You must continually speak that truth to them. You who are spiritual, you who are mature, should restore them with a spirit of gentleness. Hence, that's why sometimes you can't attack the character of the man or the woman, but you attack the error of the man or the woman. Amen. Okay? He says, keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Not in how he's destroyed his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. It won't be how you can compare yourself to the one who's been caught in transgression, in sin. But you'll compare yourself to Christ. Amen. And His work, where His work is in you. Second this morning, as we're finishing this up, the purpose of biblical judgment is to destroy foolishness and false doctrine. I've already kind of said this, and I want to reiterate it. The point of biblical judgment is to destroy foolishness and false doctrine. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 26, verses 4 through 5, it says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool, then turns and says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. You know, a lot of the stuff that goes on in, in a lot of discussions, whether it be on social media and abroad, is foolishness. Even if someone's trying to make a point, they're answering a fool according to his folly in such a way that you end up looking like a fool yourself. You end up looking like a hateful person yourself. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Don't respond in the same way he is making. But what does it say? It goes on to say, Answer a fool for what reason? Lest he be wise in his own eyes. What happens when a man is wise in his own eyes? There are others that follow in that path. Mm-hmm. They follow wise counsel in their mind. Mm-hmm. And listen, there are times when men will rise up around you and women will rise up around you and tell you how wonderful you are. And as I heard a brother say not too long ago, he said, we need to be aware of how much we brag upon others. Be careful in how we brag about others. Because what we do is we puff them up often to receive. And be careful of people who brag upon you. Because they might be such a counsel, an unwise counsel. But here's the thing. You answer that fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Let him know that his wisdom is of this age. Let him know that his wisdom is of this world. Let him know that his wisdom is actually foolishness, contrary to the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2, verses 14-19 through says, And charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Avoid irreverent 
Babel. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who, were, have, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And so here's the thing. I don't need... I don't need to discuss the character of a man or try to destroy the character of a woman or another man. I don't need to go after that, but I must preach truth I must bring that into light, not quarrel over words, but quarrel that the only time we're going to to speak in such a way is over the Word of God and not quarrel about words. Here's the thing. The Lord knows who are His, and if a person is born again, born of God, they will depart from their sin. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 10 says, I, Paul, myself entreat you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing yet some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We, you listen carefully, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of Christ, knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. What is he saying? We are to destroy these foolish things and false doctrines. We're to take everything captive, making it obey Christ at His Word. But we are not destroying men. Listen, many times men are already enslaved to think, uh, whether it be a doctrine or to sin, or doctrine which is sin. They're already enslaved. They don't need to be destroyed. It's really, you know what? It's really easy to destroy someone in chains when they can't defend themselves. It's really easy to destroy a man in bondage. That's why we have to destroy the thing that binds him or her. That means every argument, every opinion, every thought. He's to be taken captive and made to obey Christ to the point that we punish every one of those things that's disobedient. Notice it says the central goal is that we destroy arguments, opinions, and thoughts contrary to biblical doctrine, not people. People don't need help in destroying themselves or their character. They don't need help. We are our own best assassins of character. Therefore, it's the very ideas and opinions and doctrines that are spouse that must be destroyed. And then, until there is repentance, we are not to associate with them. And I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. I'll tell you in a recent response that, that Joel McDermott gave to one situation 
one of the things he came back to respond, he said, listen, I never called them these names. I said, the doctrine they espouse is that character. Now, if a person wants to derive that, they are their doctrine. But I never said that because I want people to understand men, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. The point is men can change their minds by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. They can repent. Those doctrines don't change. They must be destroyed. Mm -hmm. 1 Corinthians 5. It says it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For all, for though absent in the body, I am present in the spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, he didn't say, when I am present with you, we're going to take care of this. I'm going to tell you, something was reported to him. He made a judgment about it. He made, Let me just say, he wrote a letter to the church at Corinth and made a judgment about them and about this individual. Yep. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that even a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter, this is the first letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people, not all me, at all meaning the immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater reveler, drunkard, swindler not even to eat with such a one but what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. I'm not going to go into why this, why this is so meaningful at the moment, but I will say this. We're not to, we're not to, we're to break ties. And we're not to break bread with them. That means not even that's even more than not breaking bread over communion. We're to we can speak to them, we can do those things, but we have to understand there's more to this than that. And understand this passage of scripture does not overlook the willful sins of those outside the church. 
So God judges those outside of the faith, but that does not mean we overlook their willful disobedience to God. These are individuals who are outside the covenant we have, fa- we have with God uh, as individuals and families because they have broken covenant with God and are outside the covenant community already. We're not to be unequally yoked with them already. The reason why we don't need to have to pass judgment on those outside the faith is because they're already outside the faith. That's right. So if someone says, if, if someone's an unbeliever, we treat them differently. But if someone says they're your brother in Christ, we treat them differently. Absolutely. A higher standard. And whatsoever, whatever interactions we might have with them, we are to be calling them, those outside the church, to repentance through the proclamation of the gospel to them. Biblical judgment is necessary, and it requires biblical discernment or the application of God's law where to every Aspect, each and every aspect and area of life. Biblical judgment allows for us to set aside personal affiliations, allegiances, and emotions toward others and honor God before we do man, country, church, or family. That's the, that's the point of it. In fact, I would say love is not just an emotion. Affection is emotion. Love is beyond us. So love can condemn others. And love, we accept others. And love, we overlook many grievous errors because the Lord has overlooked ours, forgiven ours. But we don't accept, we have to set those sides, those affiliations and those allegiances sometimes, even emotions toward others, and honor God before we do those people. It's hard. I talked about examples. I even tried to write an example. I got no response from it. I, I talked about inconsistencies in my own family growing up. Um, I talked about the fact that my grandfather, I mean, just drilled in me time and time again the how, or whether it be Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormonism, how they are cults and how they're what I call by a cult, a false gospel, a false teachers, false religions. And he gave me tons of, he, he'd read stuff to me, and he'd have me read stuff, and he gave me books. Even as I started ministry, he gave me more and more stuff regarding all these things. And then I remember um, a couple elections back, Mitt Romney, who was a devout Mormon, was running for election, and he voted for him. And I remember questioning that, my grandfather getting very angry with me. My family was very kind of upset. My mom was, my uncle was, because I don't have a reason to question him. But my grandfather said all of our lives that these are people who desire to use this God, their gospel, their false gospel for evil, even though it's packaged as a beautiful thing. And here he is voting for one. It's about inconsistency. I know that I've dealt with regarding not only politics, but over marriage and divorce and homosexuality and all these other topics that come up. I've had to deal with my own family. I know that there's distance because of it. There's distance for other reasons as well. But here's the thing. Biblical judgment allows for us to righteously call that which is good, good, and that which is evil, evil. Biblical judgment allows for us to correct those who err in calling that which is good evil and that which is evil good, especially when they are considered brethren in Christ. 
So yeah, there is time for, there is time right now for there to be judgment beginning with the household of God. There always is. We're supposed to be the ones who are the light bearers. So if judgment doesn't begin with us, we, we're parading around with a false light. So judgment must begin with us. Because that's, I'm going to tell you what the rest of the world, the lost are going to tell you. Yeah, well, look at, look at so-and-so, and look at so-and-so, look how they're doing. What about this, and what about that? And they're just going to keep throwing up the, the evil and the sin that is in our, our faces. They'll throw up brethren that are racist in our face. They'll throw up people who have a distinct hatred toward all homosexuals to the point that they wish they were burned at this stake. They're going to throw those in our faces. And we can know what God's Word says about that, but can you love a homosexual to the point to tell them, to preach the gospel to them, or do you hate them so bad that you won't? And that applies in many different areas. Mm-hmm. Philippians 1, 8-11 says, For God is my witness, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure, so pure be pure and blameless before the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God our goal and our responsibility is that we continue to grow and mature in Christ and that we have proper biblical discernment that we understand what the word of God says so that we may live, that we also may judge righteously others, that we might tell them and, and, and tell them and correct them in Christ Jesus how the, uh, of their error, just as we would want someone to do the same for us. Acts 17, 10-12, it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, they received the word with all eagerness. I want you to say, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. When it says examining, they were discerning by the Holy Spirit. They continued to go over. And we were, we were called many times, we need to be like the Bereans. The Bereans, as they would look at scripture and they would make sure it applied and make sure that they were not being won over by some false doctrine. They were constantly looking and they were being one of This is what it says. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So men and women of all classes were being won over as they searched the scripture by the Holy Spirit through discernment. Now finish this in 1 Corinthians 2. As it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Amen. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, who is God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. 
Now the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, see this, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Does that mean, we'll talk about this in a second. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now let me ask you a question. The spiritual person, it says, judges all things, but it's to him to be judged by no one. Does that mean, if I'm a spiritual person, you can't judge me? That does not mean that. What does that mean? It means that person has nothing to be judged of. Why? Because he's being led by the Spirit of God. Now what if someone tells me, now I'll tell you, this has happened to me. And I did not have a profitable conversation after this. Okay, I had someone say something to me and I told them what I believed, what the scripture says. And they said, well, your spirit is telling you this and my spirit is telling me this. Let's just agree to disagree. Here's my problem with that. I asked them, is the spirit you're talking about the Holy Spirit? And she said, well, yes. I said, well, the Holy Spirit is God. And He can't be divided. God doesn't have two truths. We can both be wrong, but we both cannot be right. Do you understand that? That both of us could have something, we could both be wrong about what we're talking about, but we can't both be right. Because there's one truth. And so when we look at this, when we talk about this passage of Scripture... We can understand the things of God because the Spirit of God reveals them to us. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The Spirit of God illuminates Scripture for us. He makes it come alive. So, like when you're reading, when you're reading the Bible, if the more you read, when you're looking over that and you're asking for the the Lord to help us to understand, to understand these things, we're asking the Holy Spirit to guide us into truth so we understand what we should know. Now listen, listen what that means. The Holy Spirit's going to show you that. It might take time. All of us need to understand that. It takes time. Not all things make sense. Not all things are giving us full understanding at that time. But I want you to understand this. We cannot turn around and God's Word says don't. God does not call something evil and then we start calling it evil and expect that God... Hey, the Holy Spirit's spoken to me differently than He has you. No. Well, after all these years, I, I've been teaching for 45 years, and you know, you, you know, the Holy Spirit just hasn't illuminated that for me. In your young years, He's obviously given you something I haven't seen. That is wrong. Because if we truly seek after the things of God... Want His Spirit to get, guide us into all truth as He's called to do. We will see the truth. The truth is, this is what comes down. Many a times I can see a truth in the sin that we have in our hearts. Our desire to please ourselves won't allow us to repent of that sin. We don't want to speak that truth because in our pride we've been wrong for too long. And others, now we are responsible for what we've taught for so long to others. And brother, I'm going to tell you kiddos, 
I've had to do a lot of that before the church. Mm-hmm. I started ministry 25 years ago. More than half of my life. And I have taught and I have preached error in those times. And I've had to go before others and I said, I have said this before. I have preached this before. And I was wrong. And that's hard to do. Especially if you have people sitting in front of you that might still agree with what you taught before. It's hard. It's hard when you lose family over it. It's hard when you lose friends over it. It's hard when you lose relationships over it. It's hard when other pastors kick you out from their group no longer to associate in fellowship with you and refuse please just understand this when they even refuse to have an open discussion of any sort public or private that's different we can have an open disagreement but when people don't even want for that we as a spiritual person, we judge all things according to the Spirit. And if we're going to re- be a part of reconstructing and redeeming, being a redemptive people, redeeming this earth this, for the kingdom of God, for the purpose of His kingdom, then we have to know how to judge righteously. We have to be not only be able to judge righteously, but we need to be able to accept righteous judgment. That's where we fall. Every, each and every one of us. Because I'll tell you, when someone points out my sin or points out my error or what they perceive, my first response isn't, oh, you know what, you're, you're right. Because I have a prideful part of my heart in my life. And my first thing is to reject people who are like that. But a brother who pleads with me and seeks to restore me gently much more more likely who's patient with me much more likely not only to repent of my error but to publicly repent of it and no longer go back lost lost friendships and relationships do occur but let it be by the spirit of God allow him to take care of those things Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.